Hello, everybody. Steve Kerr here, and welcome to episode 18 of Five Minutes to Chaos. I wanted to jump in and make a, a bit of an announcement before the episode, really because the episode is very New York City-centric. This episode is about the New York City Office of Emergency Management, the New York City Department of Transportation, the New York City Department of Environmental Protection, Fire Department, and many other agencies that came to support a community during time of a major water main break with disruption, contamination, and impact to both commerce and the community itself. It's important to note that the founding commissioner of the Office of Emergency Management, Jerry Hauer, passed away last week on August 11th, 2023. Jerry was my boss in a number of different roles throughout my career. Jerry was my friend, but more importantly, Jerry was my mentor. Everything I know about emergency management came to me through the tutelage and leadership of Jerry Hauer. Jerry is the godfather of modern emergency management. He developed a program that has been exported to cities, states, and enterprise organizations on a global scale. He's highly respected throughout the emergency management, fire, rescue, law enforcement, healthcare, and public health community. I will miss you terribly, Jerry. I owe you a lifetime of emergency management service. Thank you for the faith you had in me. With love, I want to say that I miss you. I want you to know that your efforts will not be forgotten and will continue to help people in times of crisis. Now on to episode 18 of Five Minutes to Chaos. Welcome to Five Minutes to Chaos, the podcast that dives deep into the world of chaotic emergencies and complex crisis management. In each episode, we'll engage with emergency managers and crisis leaders to explore the challenges that arise in times of crisis and the strategies they employ to navigate through them. From natural disasters to technical failures to human-caused events, we'll examine real-life scenarios that put crisis managers to the test. Join us as we uncover the lessons learned from past emergencies and gain insight into the complexities of crisis management. With five minutes to chaos, you'll be better prepared to face the unexpected when it strikes. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Steve Kerr here, your host of the podcast, Five Minutes to Chaos, an unrehearsed, unscripted podcast with the goal of promoting crisis management through the raw experiences and observations of emergency managers, crisis leaders, and incident commanders that have led their teams through complex and challenging situations. I have a special guest with us today, somebody that I call a friend and somebody that I have worked with in emergency management for uh, many years. We are coming together to discuss a particularly critical incident in, in our time in New York City. Uh, with us today is uh, Mark Kadushin. Mark Kadushin, at the time of the incident, has a, uh, was assistant commissioner for the New York City Department of Transportation. He was in charge of emergency response and communications. But Mark has a storied New York City career in, a, in emergency service, and I'll let him uh, explain that to you much more better than I can. Welcome to the show, Mark, and thanks for being here. 
Well, thank you, Steve. It's good to be here, especially with you, since we work together on a number of incidents in New York City, and I always uh, appreciated uh, working with you and what I could learn and uh, your expertise and how you cared for not only the agency and the city workers, but the people of the city. Thank you. It's very kind of you to say that. It's, it's a, it was a team effort and, you know, you coming together with, for this incident, we're going to talk about the DOT folks and helping uh, break the ice with other agencies that you had relationship with, like DEP was, was absolutely critical. Well, DEP was a very well-organized operation under Commissioner Mealy. Um, Jerry Howell, who was the director of OEM at the time, would always feel that we at DOT, I guess, uh, I would always push the workers and create overtime to get these uh, incidents uh, as expeditiously completed as possible. So once uh, DEP would finish a water main with their contract is due to the size of the uh, water mains they had to use outside contractors and not handle it in-house. And once they finished, rather than have them bring in a contractor to repair the road, DOT uh, took it from there. And of course, Chris Lynn, the commissioner, would jump up and down with his budget. And Jerry would always say, I'll speak to the mayor. I'll talk to Rudy. Everything will be fine, Chris. And then when uh, Chris got his accolades for the uh, rapid uh, repair, he was always smiling afterward that it was a good investment. So, so tell us a little bit about your history, because what you're talking about is actually a time period where there's almost a culmination of a, of a series of events in New York City that led to uh, the, the, the formation by Mayor Giuliani of the New York City Office of Emergency Management, which I am proud to say, as, as you know, that I am a charter member. Jerry Howard, you mentioned our, our good friend Jerry and uh, uh, emergency, my, my close friend and emergency management mentor uh, recruited me to join the team. And um, I was on the doorstep of helping build a metro area emergency management agency, the likes of which had never been seen before and the likes of which has grown and matured to be quite an operation in New York City. So tell us about your background. Okay, I believe that my interest in uh, the emergency management and assisting in these matters came in the early 60s uh, joining the Salvation Army Disaster Services uh, with Harry Wittenberg, who later became the Deputy Fire Commissioner for uh, Press Relations. I knew Harry. Yeah, I think we all did. We, uh, the Salvation Army would go to third alarm fires, other disasters, serve beverages, uh, especially helpful during heavy heat conditions, but as an individual who was volunteering, you were able to observe what the first responders were doing, uh, view the entire structure of an emergency response, and then you could understand what was being done, why it was being done. And then it, it sort of became habit forming to respond to the Salvation Army headquarters, load the vehicle, come down, and again, just observe. And as time went on, a number of us went different ways, and I had the opportunity to have a brief career in law enforcement with what is now the MTA police. And 
these so, uh, hold on so so i think that's important so you are a sworn law enforcement officer with the mta police so um mta police for the listeners that might not know that mta metropolitan transportation authority is a uh behemoth of a new york state agency and in the new york city area is responsible for a number of modes of transportation so let's include new york city subways which the mta police are not responsible for but then there's a long island railroad metro north railroad and new york city buses um i want to say they're running ferries now and farmingdale airport but at the time were you with either one of the railroad police or had the uh, agency Penn, merged? Uh, I was with Penn Central. And eventually uh, there were mergers going on where uh, members of that service became, it became Metro North Police. And Penn Central became the Metro North Railroad. Metro right, North, right, and right. some went to Amtrak, which is still, of course, a national police agency of and course. handles Penn Station. Uh, it was it was a very good experience. It was a I'm sure it amount was. of time because my father, who had retail businesses, had gotten ill and uh, was on the verge of passing away. So I had to leave and, and take over the business. But it, it, you learned a lot in each area of government service. You learn a lot. And just to sort of sidebar on that, when I uh, came into the city, I was with EMS where I met you. Uh, however, I did have uh, a time at the Taxi and Limousine Commission from EMS, and I remember being out with one of the supervisors to show me how they pick up illegal vehicles. Now they're uh, for hire vehicles like Uber and whatever. And I spotted a vehicle. I said, I think you have a customer there. And rather than going over and doing whatever he had to do, he pulled the car over and he said, you've only been with the agency for a week. How did you know all of this? He says, you know, I think you were put here to observe me by the, in the Department of Investigation. I don't think you really are an appointee. And I said, no, I've just been around a long time. And, you know, you have a feel for things. And it was interesting that those of us who came from volunteering in whatever area, whether it be the Salvation Army, Auxiliary Fire, Auxiliary Police, their local volunteer ambulance corps, we're able to pick up so many different things with people's behavior in government service, later years in government service. And it made a lot of individuals leaders in government. We've had a number of people, even Harry got to uh, deputy commissioner on fire, Joe Garcia was a volunteer, got to the mayor's community assistance unit handling their emergencies. Right. So Just that's where I know people. That's where I know Harry from. My first encounter with Harry, I was deputy chief in uh, Manhattan North, uh, EMS deputy chief in Manhattan North, and Harry was uh, deputy commissioner of fire department. We had a multi-fatal fire, and uh, there was a press conference in the morning. It was on the overnight, and when I came to work, I was asked to you know, to go represent EMS at, at the press conference, and that's where Harry and I first met and started working together and it was a productive relationship um i mean i don't want to sound like for the listeners that we, you know we're just you know talking about old home week we're talking about people and individuals that were important in the evolution of emergency management in uh in in new york city harry has since passed but he had uh he had a, a big voice a big personality and he he had a big part in, in everything that we did at the time so i appreciate you bringing him up um Let's see, where else can we go? And I was an EMT uh, again in the 70s. Uh, right. so, 70s. Well, so let's talk about EMS just to fast mm -hmm. forward a little bit. Mm -hmm. So at the, when you came to EMS, 
I don't remember where I was, what my rank was. I was probably captain or, or transitioning to deputy chief. And you and I started working together there. What was your role there? I was the assistant director under Steve Gilbert of the CCU unit that handled complaints from civilians, non-medical, but actual complaints, an abuse of care, by, uh, attitude by a driver. Uh, when they got in the ambulance, they had a wallet. When they got to the hospital, it wasn't there anymore. Things unfortunate like that. And uh, Steve Gilbert, who ran the unit, another individual, I believe he was part of the canteen, he really cared about the citizens and to make sure that they were provided the proper service. Also, if someone wanted to use the uh, ambulance as a taxi service and they complained yeah. when they were told they shouldn't, we tried to diffuse uh, the feelings that EMS didn't provide adequate service but uh, so, so analogous to an internal affairs unit in the law enforcement agency i believe that you and steve ran a shop that both helped increase the professionalism and enforce the professional standards of the emts and paramedics of new york and i think that was a, a critical role that you that you did there so 1996 Rudy Giuliani, Mayor Rudy Giuliani creates the Office of Emergency Management. He issues Executive Order 30. And uh, I just want to read uh, a small a small portion of that. Uh, OEM shall perform the following functions. Coordinate the city's response to emergency conditions and potential incidents which re require a multi-agency response, including but not limited to severe weather threats from natural hazards and natural disasters, power and other public service outages, labor unrest, other than keeping the peace, which of course would be a police function, water main breaks, transportation and transit incidents, hazardous substance discharges, building collapses and acts of terrorism. That's paragraph one of executive order 30. And that's what brings me to the scene of a catastrophic water main break at Fifth Avenue and 18th Street in the borough of Manhattan. Now, um, the incident, as I recurred, as I can recall, rather, happened in early January of 1998. And uh, I'm going to give it to you to talk about sort of the pre-OEM arrival stuff, but I'm just going to give a high-level view. And and. I think this is a critical incident and important for us to talk about because in my mind, this is an incident that demonstrates the pure value of an emergency management operation from a field perspective, from a facilitation perspective, from a coordination perspective, uh, from uh, the ability to unify agencies uh, and to bring the public sector and private sector together to respond to the needs of the public. So in early January 1998, was it January 2nd, Mark? I believe it was either the 2nd or the 3rd. So we had a the 48-inch uh, water main breaks, 5th Avenue and 18th Street, which causes uh, a, a major sinkhole street collapse uh ruptures a if memory serves a 24 inch gas main floods the path subway system so for folks outside new york the path is the port authority trans hudson subway that that brings commuters in and out of of new york now if memory serves there's no new york city subways in this immediate area but the path system had some flooding 
This water main break flooded the entire area to include businesses, storefronts, building lobbies, um, flooded basements, and uh, caused uh, at one point an explosion and fire. You take it away. Well, I, I believe that the transit system had some involvement there. Uh, I think that Joe Hoffman, who was their vice president for operations, and he would show up in any train derailment or problem because I believe yeah. we on flooded the system. On a motorcycle, by the way. Joe would show up to incidents on a motorcycle, if you remember. Well, in their van, they actually had a scooter uh, somehow attached to the back. If he had to go out yeah. a quarter of a mile or half a mile, he would just use the scooter. Yeah. Interesting, but quite knowledgeable in that area related yeah. to emergencies with transit. But I believe we did flood this, when I say we, the city, the problem of the water main flooded their system and he was pumping water out. But again, part of this group of talent that was able to get the businesses restored as almost as expeditiously as yeah. possible. Going back, now we're going back 20, uh, 25 years, and I've been away from government for 16, 17 years. So it's hard to remember so much in exact detail. Yeah. But what Let, I do let's remember, come let's come back to the community response part. I want to start with where I was not at the scene when the spark ignited the 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 fire and that caused the the area evacuation. And there are photos um, and I'm going to put two YouTube uh, links in the show notes. So I would encourage the listeners to find those links and you'll you'll see two uh, two 25 year old videos of this incident. But again, it's critical because of the way we came together to 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 restore the to restore the community. Talk about the fire. Talk about the the um, the street collapse, the the immediate emergency and how and what you did, what special things the agencies did, then I'll come in and talk about sort of the the uh, the impact component of it. And because I was on scene following two weeks um, with Jimmy Olson, uh, rest in peace. Tragically, Jimmy has passed since then. But Jimmy Olson was an FDNY uh, rescue captain, one of the most respected fire officers uh, in the department who was assigned to OEM as, as a, a colleague deputy director. And we worked that incident together. Uh, and uh, Jimmy was instrumental in doing a lot of the things I'm going to talk about. But talk about, you know, the incident early minutes and hours there, if you, if you don't mind. Oh, no problem with that. Uh, but just before we get there, I keep a picture of the car that I guess you'll show that link. It's a crater. It's like Ghostbusters in a way. There is a car in this crater that's been sitting there. Yeah. And I keep the picture just to remind myself that when people tell me how bad it is that their car didn't start one day or other things that are terrible affecting their everyday that the, they messed up their sandwich with mustard instead of mayonnaise. I can look at that and say, gee, the owner of that car, he really had a problem. These businesses, when they complained a dishwasher didn't come in and the manager had to wash dishes, right. how they lost revenue for a week. So that's all important. Uh, but again, also, the businesses themselves were very pleased with the city response. They were surprised how quickly we were able to restore the area so that they could go back and generate revenue, which in turn generates tax money and helps pay for the cost and the overtime here. So we left with a constituency that was very, very happy. And they made sure to mention that to the mayor when he would come down and look 
you know, going again, Rudy and the commissioners of both agencies at the time, they were really concerned about people and the issues that affected them. So they did come down and make sure that things were really taken care of as quickly as possible. When DOT arrived, being myself and one or two of the early support staff, we looked at the situation and said, you know, again, like Neely said at DEP, we have a big problem here. DOT really could do nothing at that point as far as affecting the uh, actual work to get the vehicle out and repair the pipe. But what was started, we ordered the command band for DOT to come down and started to make a list of what would be needed to complete our work once DEP completed theirs, their contractor, subcontractor got the new main in, we would have to be really ready to, to get that street back open, streets back open, which we did. Went as far as to have our workers, we had a team called the JETS, J-E-T-S, the Jolt Elimination Team, that would concentrate on minor problems or possibly eventually possible larger problems on the roadway, but they would work closely with emergency response and they were incredibly helpful. They came down and we all looked and said, we need a backhoe. And where do we go for that type of equipment? Con Ed. Con Ed was always helpful when you needed equipment in an emergency to offer to supply it. So we had large trucks that could move our own heavy equipment we were able to get a police escort to go get the backhoe and bring it down and find a, a temporary place that would be readily available when the time came and to arrange for the uh, large uh, dump trucks to pick up dirt that we could fill the literal cavity with a filling. And we were ready. And the minute we were allowed to go in there, we went in. One of our workers who had driven a tow truck uh, years before, wanted to go into the hole and pull out the vehicle. And I said, no, we have to really wait until we know for sure that those gas lines are off. And then a friend of yours and mine, Bob Leonard, who used to be with us at EMS and I, he had come to DOT to head the press office, was standing right by the hole, one part of that hole, crater. We're talking and all of a sudden, I remember saying to Bob, you know, we both came from EMS. We should know better. We smell gas and we're standing right here. And he said, you know, Mark, you're right. We turned around to walk away and a large piece of the asphalt broke away, hit the natural gas line and you could hear the explosion and the flames went sky high. And as I'm running away towards a fire truck, uh, I could feel the heat on my back. And then a few days later, Phil O'Brien, who was the assignment editor of NBC, said, Mark, we have you on tape running away from that explosion. Would you like a copy? I said, by all means. And, uh, you know, that part of it is history. And we worked with the other agencies. And I think everyone really showed what the city could do because the businesses thought they'd be long out of operation. Right. And so surprised them. let's talk about that. But, but I will post. Uh, I can't post photos on the show notes, but I will post some photos and I'm making a note now uh, on the LinkedIn page for this podcast. So this podcast has the five minutes to chaos has a LinkedIn page. I will be sure to post photos from this incident uh, uh, 
on my LinkedIn page, on the show LinkedIn page, as well as the links for the YouTube videos uh, in the in the show notes, which the folks can copy, uh, can copy and paste. Okay, so post uh, post fire, fire is now out. Gas main is contained. We now enter into a restoration and period of recovery. Jerry Howard assigns me and Jimmy and a, a couple other others to the scene. We deploy the OEM command vehicle. Uh, folks that are interested can Google New York City OEM command vehicle, and you, you'll see the this uh, sizable bus that we had. And I believe yours, DOT, DEP, had their vehicles, smaller vehicles parked right behind us. We created sort of a command post area. And the some of the activity that needed to be done and that required multi-agency coordination include demolition. So first the agency had to, had to demolish the area and they went down 50 or so feet and you would find, I think that's probably not right, probably 25 or 40, 25 to 40 feet, all the way down to the presence of a brick sanitary sewer. If you could imagine a sewer in New York City that was built probably in the 1700s, uh, there was a brick sanitary sewer. And then you could see the layers of infrastructure above that. So once the street was demolished, the, um, the recovery and restoration included restoring each of those layers one by one. So restore the brick sewer. Then above the brick sewer was the fire alarm uh, te telegraph system, literally telegraph lines, because in the at the time in New York City, there were still pull alarms, FDNY, you know, red fire alarm boxes on street corners, they may still have pull alarms. Uh, and, you know, that tapped out uh, a, a number to the dispatch office, that number represented a, a location. So whatever the box was on that corner, let's just say it was box 100, you'd pull the alarm, tap, 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 100, which would signal the fire department would dispatch companies to box 100 fifth avenue and and, and 18th street sanitary sewer fire alarm system then the water mains then the electric system and the gas system and then ultimately the street now on the community side some of the things we had to deal with were um disruption of community commerce and disruption of operations for school, uh, other businesses, but most important was a school for the deaf. So if, if memory serves on 19th Street and Fifth Avenue, there was a school for 400 children with that that were hearing impaired. And uh, as memory serves, one of the OEM functions was to work with the school, one, two, to get some some sense of i think they still had electricity we were getting uh, we had to get water to them so they can keep school the school in operation ultimately that didn't work and we worked with the school to evacuate it and relocate the children to another location i don't recall again 25 years later where we did that but that was a coordination element that that uh uh, you know, one of the things that OEM did. The other thing we had to do, there were a number of food establishments between 18th uh, and 20th on Fifth Avenue on both sides of the street. And because of the water contamination, all of them were out of business. All of them had to um, mm. trash their supplies. So we coordinated with the Department of Sanitation, the Department of Health to bring in sanitary bins where they can throw their stuff out. Then as they restored 
the uh, their businesses and started bringing fresh food products in and electricity was restored. Refrigerators were working. We worked with the health department to expedite inspections so they can get their stores up. You talk about the community being happy with how fast we were able to recover them. This is all part of that. And one of the other main things we did, and this is, you know, one of those esoteric, obscure New York City things, but it only can happen if you know the players and you know what resources you can bring to bear. And that's a core emergency management function. There was an agency, a small agency, and I think they were down on Beekman Street, the New York City Department of Small Business Services. Well, guess what? They had a grant program for major emergencies and disasters. We brought them to the scene. And they issued uh, checks by way of, uh, I think there was small business loans to uh, to some of the businesses. There may have been a combination of loans and grants uh, that were given to the businesses, and that enabled them to pay for the restoration, pay for the cleanup, and pay for the restoration, bring new foodstuffs in, clean up the debris, and do, uh, do demolition and, and reconstruction. All of this could not have happened without you, Mark, and without the other agency representatives, such as yourself at the scene, that um, appeared every morning at 0700 for an interagency coordination meeting. At the interagency coordination meeting, we would uh, develop basically the incident action plan for the day. All the agencies would gather on the OEM command vehicle. This is um, uh, basically status. Uh, your um, intended actions for the day, challenges and needs, and how we can work together to overcome them. And that's how the agencies work together. The meetings typically lasted 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Then the agencies would go about their work. Uh, there would be a need for in interim meetings and agencies. So let's say you, Mark, would come see Steve. We're having a, a challenge with Con Ed. We need to expedite something, some, whatever it is. We'd get the agencies together, small meeting, back of the bus, get it done, uh, back to work. Every day, four o'clock, end of the day. It wasn't really the end of the day. The agencies worked into the evening, but we did a 4 p.m. interagency meeting for a sort of... Uh, uh, a conditions, action, uh, actions, and needs update, or a can update, as uh, it's called in a fire service. And uh, and then we start to develop what the action plan is for the remainder of that operating period, because uh, the agencies were working into the night and what, what the following day looked like. Um, I remember um, VIPs visiting the scene and uh, being uh, very happy with the work that the collective we were doing, you know, we had DEP, we had, uh, I mean, a list of agencies. Uh, and uh, Mark, tell me if there's any, I'm probably missing some Department of Transportation, Department of Environmental Protection, Con Ed, Department of Buildings, Department of Small Business Services, FDNY. Now, FDNY wasn't on the scene because we had an ongoing fire, the risk and threat were contained. What we had with the FDNY uh, telegraph folks that were demolishing and rebuilding the fire alarm system. Uh, NYPD, NYPD, of course, from a traffic control perspective and a scene security perspective, uh, uh, very big partners, the Department of uh, Sanitation and the Department of Health. What am I missing? Well, the fire department was actually there because that explosion, they were in different areas standing standing by. I, I, I'm so, talking days later now. Were they, oh, were days they there? later. Oh, yeah, I'm talking okay. into the recovery phase. Not, 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 the, not that first day. No, I, I think you covered it pretty well. 
I don't remember Port Authority being there, even though PATH had uh, had had rail impact. And like you said, Joe Hoffman and the MTA, I th uh, if they were there, I, I, I just don't recall. But Joe and his folks, Joe was the president of the MTA. He was an extremely important partner to us at OEM. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was there in his leather jacket. Well, Joe, well he was there quite regularly okay. with his, okay, very he good. had a large van uh, uh, bus. They had plenty of buses, they had a lot. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll put put I'll put them put them on my list. Go ahead. Just to mention with small business services, uh, Rudy Washington, uh, who ran it, was in the construction business before he came into government. I remember. And later Rudy. became yeah. a deputy mayor. Very very talented guy and did help those businesses. Again, the, the businesses were always appreciative there of uh, the work that was done by. I forgot that he city. had become deputy mayor. He was yeah. very supportive of OEM. And he was yeah. uh, he was easy to work with. Uh, Ninfa yeah. Sigara was another deputy mayor that right. we worked with. Uh, in fact, I took a team to the Dominican Republic uh, for a cat for Hurricane Hurricane George, also in 1998. So that would have been later in the year. And uh, when we came back, Ninfa recognized the team for its work on on the ground. Uh, we were on the ground for about 10 days doing uh, disaster response recovery work, and she was very, very supportive and appreciative. That's true. It goes back to, you know, again, forgetting what people see now, but uh, the administration of Rudy was caring about the constituency. Anytime a person came up with a problem, it had to be addressed. And if it was something that OEM had to be brought in, you'd bring them in. We have an unsafe condition in an area bring in OEM and allow the OEM people to see who the problem should be disseminated to. And that helped a lot. And people recognize that they're getting help. And it was very, it became easier to work with people when we had to tell them, we have to close down your street for a week, but we're gonna do this. And, we, and when we would say a week, they pretty much believe it. It's not government telling you it's a week and it's gonna be six yeah. months. So we established a good rapport whenever we, OEM, other city agencies dealing with emergencies got involved with the constituency. We had a very good reputation in those years. So when we uh, when we formed OEM, um, Jerry Hauer, who's come up a few times in, in discussion, uh, made it clear to the team that we are a people first agency and emergency management is about people before anything else. And above all else, his three big words for us will always get it done and it was easy said at the time because of the charisma jerry brought to, to the table uh and was able to bring his influence and charisma and let the other agencies know that we were there to support them and and not and not be an enemy that was absolutely critical but also the fact that that the mayor supported us i mean in the beginning the office was called the mayor's office of emergency management it is it has since been legislated to become the department of emergency management which i'm very proud of that the agency has has matured and grown that way but we were originally the mayor's office of emergency management and jerry reported directly to rudy to, to mayor giuliani and um having the that backbone the mayor as as a backbone allowed us to have that that get it done attitude but then nobody got like beaten up to get stuff done you know it the message is emergency managers uh operate under a sphere of 
of, of influence, not direct authority in many cases. Now, we did have direct authority. You know, I already read part of Executive Order 30 that empowered OEM to do what it did, but that's not the way we operated. It was about making the ask. It was about bringing, some, bringing somebody to the table and saying, Mark, we have this problem. I know this is outside your wheelhouse. How can you help? And that's how we got stuff done. And I appreciate uh, you recognizing that. But again, what I'm talking about is the team. I am talking about maybe 20 agencies at an incident working together because one, we all knew each other because we drilled together, we worked together, we planned together, and we did these smaller incidents, these smaller water main breaks together. So when it came to a big one, it was really second nature. It was OEM's job to just um, bring everybody into the tent uh, or the command vehicle, if you will, and have those interagency meetings. But my message to the listeners are it's pure emergency management. You know, we use the word boots dirty. You know, are you, you know, did you have muddy boots? Were you a, a boots dirty emergency manager? And it's an old military term, but it suggests that, you know, were you really, you know, in the thick of it? Well, we literally had mud on our boots because this incident not only had uh, uh, a 40 by 40 25 foot deep crater in the street the mud was all over fifth avenue between 18th and 20th streets and we did have mud on our boots but this was not only a um a community success story but it was also a growth opportunity for a couple of young emergency managers and maybe we're not young now mark but at the time you know you and i were you know a lot younger and growing it in our fields and there was great great growth opportunity there and 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 jerry um and uh having faith in jimmy olson and i and the rest of the team that supported this we it was critical we we had a lot of talent then and we have talent now and it, it just opened up careers for people to be able to help the citizens of the city just a lot, a lot of talent. Um, the DOT had such a, a vast amount of properties. It had the Staten Island Ferry. It had parking garages. It had the non-toll tunnel and bridges. So every day you had an incident that would pop up. The roadways were us. The, uh, a vehicle hits into the rails, divide rails, guardrails, a problem for DOT. It was just something every day. So it would fall into emergency management. How do you respond? Uh, an overhead sign, something could happen. And if you lost or you're going to lose an overhead sign, you're going to close a whole roadway where people are coming into the city for work or coming into the borough of Manhattan. So there would be something regularly that had to be addressed and all different kinds uh, of needs would come up. And we were always able to address them either directly or reach out to OEM and say, look, this is a problem. This is what we're gonna need done or we need you to get the PD involved. It would be better if you bring them in or fire would be really not a need for DOT unless there was an incident in one of our facilities. But overall, I was always surprised at the dedication of the workers just to go off that subject for a moment, when I left the city, I became involved with a National Transit Institute, which had a uh, funding from FEMA out of Rutgers University, 
that provided facilitation of meetings with surface transit operators, especially bus drivers. So we would go to areas throughout the United States and explain to these workers how they can be of help during a disaster or severe emergency. And we would prepare scenarios for them, put them at tables and bring in different other government workers, police, fire, FBI, and, and show them how they could help. And after a, like a two day event of going over uh, with each different table, a different event, this is what we can do. And let's get your input and show what you can do. And at the end of the event, we were very pleased to have a response from these attendees that their agencies sponsored their attendance to be able to say, we never thought we could be so helpful in an emergency. And that was uh, rewarding. And also it showed how emergency management agencies can bring in other city agencies that don't deal with emergencies on a daily basis and have their support when you need them. And uh, that worked quite well. And, and that, that was the success story right there. It was bringing people to the table that, that didn't have a role. First of all, they appreciated it. People want to help. People want to mm -hmm. support. You know, when our emergency operations center was at Seven World Trade Center, we had some interesting federal agencies in the building and uh, some interesting three-level, three uh, rather three-letter federal agencies in the building. So I won't go beyond that. Other <laughs> to say then, if they wanted a seat yeah. in our EOC during an activation, they had one. And uh, uh, depending what the incident was, they would occupy those seats. And uh, that gave them direct access to support from the city if they needed them. And uh, and certainly gave us direct access uh, to these agencies as well. Let me ask you a question. Uh, and if, if the answer is yes, that's a whole separate episode. Were you at the ferry accident in 02 or 03? Staten Island? Uh, no, I wasn't. No, okay. but I know that it was a problem, and you know, unfortunately, situations occur. Right. Okay. So, in, in I think it was 2003, there was a very severe accident. Staten Island ferry collided, came in pretty hard, and collided with the with the uh, pier in Staten Island. Mass casualty incident. So, uh, that's an episode I think that's worthy of of the podcast, and uh, I need to find somebody that uh, would like to talk about that, but. But good, good, great discussion, great walking uh, down memory lane and, and thinking about the history of emergency management. I, I, I hope for the listeners um, that there's a, a few takeaways, one being um, that the history of emergency management is rich. Um, it doesn't only exist in New York City because of where I'm from and Mark is from and our and, you know, um, many, many, many of the discussions go back to New York, but the emergency management really started to evolve in the 90s uh, due to leaders throughout the country like Jerry Howard, like James Lee Witt over at FEMA and other organizations that um, were um, uh, building emergency management programs at the time. And the other takeaway is, is, that, is that coordination element. It's that um, is that our job, regardless of whether we're in the EOC or in the field, uh, is to uh, coordinate with the multiple agencies, um, bring them to the table, 
Uh, I did not once talk about ICS or, or or any formal structure, and it's not that we didn't use it because we used ICS for um, field incidents. In fact, I mentioned uh, uh, in another show, uh, uh, hurricane, or I may have mentioned it here, it took a hurricane team to the Dominican Republic, was on the ground 10 days. We used ICS to deploy for that. Here, it, it, it wasn't that important because the agency sort of brought their own support to the table, brought their own policies to the table, brought their own programs to the table. And uh, um, if we needed to organize that way, we could have. But basically, we did crisis management. It was raw. It was um, it was linear. It was clean. And people just got it done. So uh, so that that's the key takeaways right there. I'm going to put um, your contact info in the show notes, if that's okay. And sure. I will put uh, uh, the links to those two videos. And uh, uh, if anybody has any questions about this incident, they can contact me on uh, on LinkedIn or, or or email you. That that would be great. Thank you yeah. for being here, Mark. I really appreciate uh, you joining uh, Five Minutes to Chaos uh, and sharing your experience in crisis management story. Five Minutes to Chaos drops weekly on Thursdays. So please follow us or like us on your favorite platform and set it to alert you when an episode drops. I welcome your comments or questions, which can be submitted in the comment area of the show or message me on LinkedIn. I look forward to hearing from you. We've been getting some great comments from the emergency management community. Your comments help us build richer program and uh, bring in guests that have certain uh, experiences. Until next time, embrace the chaos. brings us to the end of this episode of five minutes to chaos we hope you enjoyed exploring the many facets of the incident we discussed today and gained some new insights and perspectives along the way remember confronting chaos is not something to be feared or avoided it is a central crisis management role that we can learn to embrace and navigate with robust leadership and personal resilience by embracing chaos we can tap into our creative potential adapt to situations more easily and find a way to overcome the challenges of complex emergencies. I'd like to thank our guests and experts who shared their insights with us today. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope you found value in today's episode and invite you to continue exploring the many aspects of complex crisis management. Don't forget to subscribe to 5 Minutes to Chaos for more thought-provoking conversations and insights. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review or sharing it with a friend and colleague. Until next time, embrace the chaos. Mm -hmm.